The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. Jeff, you're my NFL guy, so it's great to uh, to talk with you today. Oh, my pleasure, Will. Can't uh, wait to uh, have some fun, talk uh, NFL, maybe a little fantasy, whatever, whatever's on your mind. Let's do it. Yeah, definitely. I also wanted to say it's awesome that you'll be working with Deion Miller this upcoming uh, football season for ESPN 1000. Yeah, no, it should be a lot of fun this year. We're going to be hosting the pregame show on ESPN 1000 for all your Bears coverage. So most days or, you know, most Sundays during the football season will be on from 9 to noon. But the opener, I believe, will be on from 5 to kick off, 5 p.m. to kick off Central Time. So we'll be uh, basically your home to get you covered for all your Bears pregame coverage this year. So, yeah, I can't wait to work with Dion. She's awesome. She's been on the Bears beat for a long time. She knows a lot about football, and she's just the nicest, sweetest person. So I cannot wait to work with her as well, for sure. That's awesome, yeah. So uh, this can be kind of like a quick hybrid fantasy football, just overall NFL theme. But uh, are you all set for fantasy on your end? So, um, you know, I think I feel like it's always – evolving right like every year i could go into a draft now and be feel totally comfortable but part of being a good fantasy football player is just being aware of what's going on news wise right so as and the biggest component of being injuries because that changes the landscape of who's being drafted where when you know trades like sony michelle ending up in the rams where he's going all that stuff you know plays into being a good fantasy player so i'm ready you know, if you wanted to say, hey, let's uh, let's get drafting in two hours, I'd be ready to go. But, you know, my preference is always for all the leagues that I take more seriously. My preference is to draft closer to the start of the season yeah. so that we've got all, all the information to work off. How much prep do you put into like a specific draft? I don't know if I have a specific set amount of time. The other thing, too, is just a matter of, you know, I've, I think I'm in about eight leagues now and I, I always try and limit it to less, but... Whatever. I also I also always can't say no to an opportunity when someone comes in and says, "Hey, I've got a high stakes league that I'd like uh, you know for you to uh, partner up with me." What do you think? I, I usually can't say no to that opportunity. The way I look at it, so it just depends. I think part of being you know the quote fantasy expert at the station where you host the show is that I'm always going to be prepping for fantasy football whether I was hosting a show or not. So. That just is it's just a nice uh, opportunity to use my knowledge to also, you know, do something for listeners as well that helps out and coincides with what I, I'd already be doing. And then it's just a matter of, okay, so this league, it, I think if it's an, a league that I, I have not done before, and I will spend a little more time prepping for it just because, you know, scoring systems really are the biggest thing and, and league size are the biggest components that I think change your, you know, run of the run of the mill fantasy football information because that that's really where you get your good information. Because like I, I'm gonna draft a ten team league completely differently than I would a twelve team league, and you may say, well, that's only two teams; it shouldn't make that big of a difference. But I think if you're somebody who's been playing fantasy football for a long time, you recognize that there is a pretty big difference in how you approach a 12 team versus a 10 team. And I, I mentioned those two sizes because those are by far the most common. 
you know, of course, an eight or a 16 team league are also in play, you know, even if I've, you know, I've, I've done as much as 20. So it's all over the map and it just depends on, okay, what am I working with here? Because that really, that's how I got to hone in my focus as to what my draft strategy is going to be. Yeah. With, uh, so with all the different leagues that you're in, I'm guessing you may not win every single one of them because there's so many, but do you typically finish like top two or three every year? Yeah, I think I, I so I always say, I don't, I, I would never be so boastful as to say I'm going to come in and win a league, but I, I always feel confident that I can go into a league and barring, you know, horrific injury luck, which that's yeah. something that every once in a while, if you've been playing long enough, you're just not going to be able to avoid because injury is a part of football. But barring absolutely horrific injury luck, I usually feel confident that I'm, I can finish in the top third of the league just based on my history and knowing what I know. You know, now, you know, whether or not I can win the league, part of it's just playoff luck because, you know, if we're not talking a straight points league that just accumulates points, you know, there's a randomness that comes into the fantasy playoff season that you really can't do much about. Mm -hmm. So I always say good players can generally make the playoffs in their league. And then after that, you know, it's in the uh, hands of the fantasy football. Yeah. And I imagine last year might've been the most difficult just with COVID aside or COVID alone, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. COVID was a whole new wrench into everything. And I'm trying to think now, think back as to, I did win one of my leagues. I don't, and I, I bounced, you know, in, in the, uh, in the playoffs in quite a few leagues. So, and I don't think COVID really played as much a role later in the season for me. Um, and I, I would imagine, cause I, I don't remember specifically COVID creeping into anybody, any huge player late in the year, right? I, right. I may be wrong, but I, nothing stands out in my memory that like, oh, this was a huge blow because we lost this player because of COVID. It was more just trying to be nimble and dealing with the midweek, you know, the early season midweek shuffle where games would be all of a sudden moved from Sunday to, oh, hey, the Tennessee Titans are no longer going to play in week three. Their, their, their bye weeks being, you know, moved up and they're going to play now. And so that one, I remember creating a huge headache for everybody because all of a sudden Derrick Henry had an unexpected bye week that you weren't accounting for, right? Um, and then there were several weeks too where, okay, well, that seemed like that was going to be the norm. And then we quickly find, found out, well, that's not going to be viable for very long. And so all of a sudden the Buffalo Bills are playing the Kansas City Chiefs on like a Monday afternoon, right? We've got a doubleheader of Monday Night Football. Or the Pittsburgh Steelers are playing Washington football team, you know, on a Wednesday. And so I, that was always the craziness is do you take a, do you start a player who you know is a lesser or likely to score less points, but is you know, guaranteed to at least be playing and cross your fingers and hope that this midweek game that should be played, but you don't know for sure, all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, do I just hold out hope and hope that my stud plays in that game? So yeah, it was chaotic. And I, I think based on what the NFL has said this year, it doesn't seem like that's going to be an issue this year. We're basically going to yeah. know if a game is going to be forfeited at the outset or, you know, the game's going to go on. So hopefully we won't have to deal with that chaos that we did last season. Yeah, hopefully everything uh, just goes smoothly. But, yeah. So what's what's a guy that everyone needs to have, like, ASAP right out of the gate? Or I guess, like, what's the strategy if, you know, someone's starting a draft and they want to know, like, who should I be trying to get, like, if I can, first pick? Sure. So I think my, the, my go-to tip always 
if you're playing for the first time or if you've been playing for 10 years, I really think everybody should understand the platform that they're playing on. So if you're using ESPN or Yahoo or CBS or Fantrax or some other website, understand that the platform that you're drafting on is going to dictate in some ways the way your draft unfolds, whether you like it or not, because they're that site, that platform's player rankings are going to create a bias that are going to be in your draft room that you just need to account for. So when you, if you, so go check out the rankings of whatever platform you're using and that'll give you a baseline as to where players are going to be drafted in that league. Now, it's not going to go straight off the rankings, but I guarantee you it's going to follow, at least for the first, you know, four to five rounds, it's going to follow pretty closely to the rankings based on the platform because you have people who don't prepare close, you know, that thoroughly who are going to be just staring at the rankings and using those as their primary guide. And even those who do prepare, you have you have to divorce yourself from being anchored by what the rankings say this player needs to go, you know, because if you have, for instance, Joe Mixon ranked 13th and you're picking and you're in the second round and you're 17th or 18th, right? Joe Mixon, and he's still on the board, it's hard to say to stick to your guns and say, you know what? True. I know that this site has Joe Mixon ranked this high, but I, I was dead set on taking George Kittle in the second round, and even though he's only ranked 21st, I'm going to take him over Joe Mixon. Mm-hmm. You need to be aware that biases like that that are built into every platform and not every platform is the same every rankings are a little bit different and more diverse and so if you understand that going in i think you could be a much more effective drafter and you know figuring out where you want to go and which players you want to take where and when because if you know where they're likely to go on the draft draft platform you can account for that and them up just one round and usually get the people that you want you know obviously you don't want to go to extremes i don't want to be taking a third round player in need to understand that certain players may not be there if I don't take them with that pick in that round, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Now, um, so last night on Twitter, someone was asking Chris Black, would he take Christian McCaffrey or Patrick Mahomes first overall? And I know him and Abdallah were split. I was trying to remember which one picked which, but who would you go with? Like either number one, if like any player, if that player was out there, who would you go with? Or would it be between McCaffrey or Mahomes? It really interesting. So first overall, in most formats, I would have to say, if we're not talking like a super flex, the super flex where you have the ability or a two quarterback league is the only real scenario where I would consider taking Patrick Mahomes first overall. So I'm going to assume that that question, you know, the, the league was a super flex or a two quarterback league mm-hmm. where you can make the argument that taking the quarterback first overall is actually a viable strategy. Because if it's just a one quarterback league, I don't really think passing a stud running back whether it's McCaffrey or Cook or, you know, even Kamara or Derrick Henry, if it's a non-PPR format, you, you, I, don't, I can't make a compelling argument to skip one of those elite running backs for Patrick Mahomes because mm-hmm. the, the, the quarterbacks that you're going to get, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, yeah. are all going to give you 75 to 80% or likely going to give you 75, 80, 90% of what a Mahomes would give you. Whereas all the running backs, because you have to, in most leagues, you have to start two running backs. So you're talking 20 and 24 starting running backs. There's only 32 teams in the league. You know, supply and demand, it's just, that's what it comes down to is that 
in order to fill your running back spots with quality contributors, it's just an easier path to win your league if you take running backs higher, you know, over a quarterback like Mahomes. Now, in, in two quarterback leagues, now, again, now it's back to the supply and demand argument. All of a sudden, Patrick Mahomes becomes that much more valuable because you're starting 20 or 24 quarterbacks and only 32 starters are available. So that's where I can see the argument. And then I'm, you know, I then it all goes back to league size. I still lean towards taking the running back, though, because there's just, there, there are, it's harder to find a workhorse running back like a McCaffrey. And in PPR formats, too, it's really hard not to take Christian McCaffrey and the, the possibility of him just getting 100 points through catches alone. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Yeah, now that I think about it, you're like, like you said, there's so many quarterbacks that can put up the fantasy numbers, or for the most part, anyway, it seems like. And yeah, I think uh, Abdallah took McCaffrey and Black said he'd go with Mahomes and someone was like Chris. But yeah, that, that does make sense about the running backs. Which player and team overall... Are you, do you kind of have your eyes on this season, like that you're kind of thinking as whether well, it's a dark horse or it's like a surprise or something like that? Hmm. So I don't know if I would like, so let me think about this in a couple of ways. Like, I don't know if I would call them a dark horse because they're certainly one of the better teams in the league, but the Los Angeles Rams, yeah. you know, the, up, the upgrade with Stafford over Goff is just so huge. I've always been enamored with what Sean McVay does. Mm-hmm as an offensive play caller, a schemer. And so now to finally have a guy who he trusts completely run his offense, I think the possibility for, you know, a 5,000-yard passing season is easily on the table for Stafford, especially when you factor in Cam Akers' injury. If Cam Akers hadn't gotten hurt, I think, you know, they they might rely more heavily on the run game. But after Akers, you know, injures his uh his uh leg in, in the preseason here and is done for the year and now you know even though they make the move for sony michelle I, I don't envision that they're going to be running nearly as much as they may have had acres stayed healthy so i think stafford and it, but, that, but that for fantasy purposes when you look at the passing game you know stafford woods cooper cup you know yeah. maybe T- tyler higby a little bit but i think those three stafford woods and cup where they're currently going, I like their prices in fantasy football. Outside of, um, you know, the Rams, where are maybe a, a little more obvious of a team, you know, not necessarily a dark horse. Yeah. I think um, if you're just talking about from an NFL perspective, like the Dolphins, mm. I think what, what they did last year and now with the, you know, if Tua can take a step up and be a little bit more productive as a, as a quarterback, what they did adding Jalen Waddle on the draft. Um, Will Fuller, the addition of him offensively, like they, they were a very pedestrian offense last season. I feel like they're defensively, you trust that Brian Flores is going to have them amongst, you know, one of the better units, you know, in the league. And so now if you can just get a little bit better play offensively, I like the Dolphins to really maybe make the uh, step up in, in in the, especially when everybody seems to be in love with the Buffalo Bills, yeah. I think the Buffalo. I think the Buffalo Bills are a team that you know is getting a little too much hype. Josh Allen, the you know it was an absolute revolution what he did. It, like it, your eyes just you know bulged out of your head when you saw what he did last season. And I, I'm not saying I didn't. I, he's not. He's not a very good quarterback. But I don't think he can play much better than he did last year, mm-hmm. and and so if he even just has a little bit of a you know 
he's t- takes a little bit of a step back than what he was doing last season. All of a sudden, the Buffalo Bills are not necessarily the juggernaut that they were last uh, last year. So the Dolphins are a team that I look at right now that I don't think is getting – they're not getting enough praise uh, in comparison to some of the other teams around the league. Yeah, I was going to ask about Buffalo too because I, I feel like, you know, they – I know a lot of people, they're like that sexy pick, and it seems like there could be some regression just based on, like you said, how how good Josh Allen was, for instance, or how well they played last year. Uh, but yeah, I think Miami's definitely a team that's definitely on the continuing to be on the rise, and I'm curious, too, if New England, uh, how they kind of do this season as well, whether it's with you know Cam or Mac Jones or what they end up doing. Sure, and they're getting all the starters back, all the yeah. defensive starters they were missing eight players who opted out of last season due to COVID. I think Dante Hightower being the headliner. And so when you add all those key additions back to their defense, you expect them to be a better team. You know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see what Mac Jones is as an NFL quarterback. I think a lot of uh, – he's, he's a very polarizing player when you consider where he was drafted, you know, the extremes that we were hearing prior to the draft that he could be taken as high as, you know, second overall. All that stuff was um, – you know, I think it leaves you wondering, okay, what is Matt Jones going to be at the NFL level? So, like, I, I, I'm not necessarily ready to say that I think they're, they're back to being Super Bowl contenders, but I would expect a uh, better showing than last season just based on the fact that they're getting so many defensive starters back to their unit. That should help them out immensely. And just one more quick point back to the Buffalo Bills. Well, like, I, I think it's – I don't know. Maybe it's just my um, – the way I, the way I look at it, I think people try and there nobody. It's not, it's not sexy to say I'm going to pick the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, right? That's kind of you know re- really what a you know you're certainly not opening anybody's eyes with that one, right? I would right. like, yeah, that's that's chalk. That's the expectation. <laughs> yep. But the reality is, I feel much comfortable rolling with the Kansas City Chiefs now that they've done everything they can to address their offensive line issues mm-hmm. that really. Like I mean, like people like to talk about, boy, they really struggled in the Super Bowl. Look at the offensive line couldn't protect Patrick Mahomes. Well, yeah. Oh, by the way, though, you're neglecting the fact that they still made it to the Super Bowl mm-hmm. with an offensive line that was banged up all season and finally hit the breaking point when they lost, you know, uh, two tackles in the conference championship game, mm-hmm. and then that's what led them to basically falling apart in the Super Bowl. You know, truth be told, Patrick Mahomes led them to the Super Bowl, and it was just. They hit the point where, you know, the levy broke and there was nowhere to go at that point. And, by the way, they were facing an opponent in the Buccaneers who had a pass rush that could really exploit that weakness. So, yeah. I think, for me, the Chiefs, um, they're, they're a no-brainer. And I look at the Bills and I'm like, boy, they got they got hammered by the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. And I think they're more likely to regress a little bit. And, you know, actually, I, I, I if I had to, if you said... Are the Bills more likely to win the Super Bowl this year or or, or um, not win the AFC East? I would actually bet on them not winning the division before I would bet on them winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And I was also curious, are you as high as a lot of people seem to be on the Browns or are you kind of leery about them for any reason? Um, I guess, you know, I think there is definitely a lot of love for the Browns as, you know, but I really like what's, Kevin Stefanski did as head coach last year yeah. during COVID, you know, being able to implement a system that relied heavily on the run game. And I, I always feel like if, if you can prove that you're, you've got a strong offensive line, rely on the run game, 
you put your team in possession, uh, in position to win those close games, right? And so leaning on Nick Chubb and having Kareem Hunt as a complimentary back to shoulder the load and take more off of Baker Mayfield's plate, I think is certainly a good thing. And then, by the way, they've got one of the best defensive units in the league as well. So, you know, it's the perfect, you know, smash mouth football and let your defense go, and go out and, and, you know, knock around the opposition and win games that way. And it's a, you know, a tried and tested formula in the NFL. And even, even in a pass happy league, if you can execute that, you can still win lots and lots of football games. So I think they have the right formula. I still don't, though, really think that Baker Mayfield is an elite quarterback. He still makes throws at times mm-hmm. that make me wonder if he will break your heart at the worst pop, you know, possible moments. So I feel like the Browns are a playoff team, but when they when it gets to the point where they have to truly ask Baker Mayfield to go out and make some throws to win them a football game, I'm not sure I buy into that just yet. So the age-old question is basically, is Brady still going to basically be beating the clock this season and at least getting to the Buccaneers to the NFC title game? Or do you think you know the Buccaneers are not going to maybe have the success that they had last season. It's one of those tricky situations where I think the Bucks could be actually in some ways a better team overall. Yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised if they come up with shorter ex- shorter expectations because I you know, it's Super Bowl or, or bust and unfor- and and not unfortunately because fortunately they've got the Super Bowl in their back pocket from last season. But it's it's tough to live up to, you know. I think you know, the mantra, you know, it's easier to be the hunter than the hunted, right? Yeah. And they're certainly going to be the team that gets everybody's, you know, you know, one uh, yeah. A uh, game year in and year out now from every opposition. So Brady, look, I'm not betting against him and his ability right, right. now to go out and play football. Yeah. I think as long as he is healthy, he will be fine. He can. His arm strength is still there. You saw that at the end of last season. And he's now surrounded by weapons that he can, you know, really use to his advantage. And so Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and a full season of Antonio Brown. You've already got, you know, Leonard Fournette, who I don't love, but he's a, you know, quality, he's a quality running back. He also, you know, Ronald Jones is, uh, you know, a great, I wouldn't even call him a change of pace back because I would say if he's healthy, he might be the lead back in that role. But, you know, and then, O.J. Howard will be back. You've got, I didn't even mention Rob Gronkowski yet. So he's, you know, and then the offensive line is uh, really solid in front of him. So I think Brady's set up for success this year. The key is, can he avoid, you know, any huge hit or just awkward hit that ends up, you know, derailing him because of an injury? Because I think the one thing that he really hasn't had to face yet, despite his age, at least since 2007 when he tore his ACL is he really has, has not had a huge injury that, you know, tests the limit of his age. We all know he keeps himself, you know, in the best possible shape. He's, he's doing everything he possibly, possibly can to extract every last ounce of playing time out of his career that he can. And so I see no reason until we see a little fall, fall off in play from him on the field to doubt him it's just a matter of now at the age of 44 you know if you suffer an injury that's i think really where the age will become apparent because you know yeah once you get once you get older that's where 
the you know the aging process really sets in and recovery is really what it's all about he can recover from a sunday football game and get, get out there and play the next sunday with a few more off days and you know the proper amounts of you know uh, avocado ice cream and going to bed at eight o'clock and you know making sure that he's uh fully rested and, and living his best life but it's when he's faced with an injury where his 44 year old body may not be able to do what his 33 year old body once could and that's recover properly so yeah. as long as he doesn't face a huge injury i see no reason why he can't continue to play at a high level because his, his play on the field hasn't fallen off back to kind of the fantasy side would you draft justin field's not really knowing when he's ever going to start this year, if he does start this year. Sure. So, absolutely. The, the upside yeah. for Justin Fields, especially when you consider the um, the running ability that he brings, which is really, you know, if you're looking for quarterbacks to come on and kind of, you know, at the very least, the floor on a running quarterback is fairly safe because they're going to get you those extra five, six, maybe seven points and the occasional rushing touchdown that – will give you a nice floor week in and week out, even if they're struggling in the passing game, right? Yeah. And so just ha- just having that ability in itself is a huge boon in fantasy football. And so someone like Justin Fields or Trey Lance yeah. is a really good young quarterback, I think, to throw a dart at late, later in your draft. And even if you want to bump him up a little because you're a Bears fan and you say, listen, I just want to have Justin Fields on my fantasy football team the moment that Matt Nagy finally turns to him so that, you know, I'll have uh, I'll be giddy not just the Bears as a Bears fan, but if he really does take off, I can also plug him into my fantasy lineup. Absolutely, go for it. The one thing I'll say is I, I you can't draft him as your starter, right? Yeah. You have to have somebody in place ahead of him yeah. who you can use the first few weeks, knowing that it's very likely that Matt Nagy is not going to be turning to him until I would I would expect at least week four, or week five at the earliest, unless Andy Dalton, you know, things fall completely apart for him. I, you know, I don't, I don't envision Justin Fields getting on the field before week four unless things go extraordinarily horribly for Andy Dalton early in the season. But yeah, if you if you want to draft him in fantasy, go for it. Just understand that you're going to have to have somebody, yeah. you know, for the first three or four weeks that you can rely on before Justin Fields actually gets onto the field. Yeah, and I'm sure you've talked about it, but are you were you were you in the camp also of you know he should start week one or are you kind of okay with Dalton uh, even though the preseason hasn't been a good indicator so I personally would like to see him start from day one I think there's I'm a believer that if you're going to be able to make it at the NFL level it really doesn't matter week one or week eight of your rookie season I think you get out there and you're just prolonging the inevitable as a head coach I understand they like Matt Nagy. I think he, Matt Nagy, probably feels more comfortable going with the veteran who he knows is not going to be. He's not going to see something that's going to surprise him on the field in the opener. And you know, especially when you're a play caller like Matt Nagy, I think Matt Nagy. You know, any any head coach who's an offensive who has you know the offensive coordinator on their on their resume from the past probably thinks that they can do more to help their their young quarterback out. And so they don't want the, you know, but they don't want them to make the catastrophic mistakes that will end up losing them the ballgame. So I can see why somebody like Matt Nagy might say to themselves, okay, 
until Justin Fields proves to me on the practice field that he's not going to be making mistakes, I want to like keep him on the sidelines and I'll try and teach him and coach him up until we get him to the point where I feel like he's comfortable enough in the game. But as if I'm not in that position, I think it's just a matter of until you get onto the field and you see you know the live bullets in action, I don't think you can simulate that or replicate that in practice. I think it needs to happen at some point on the field. And so as a Bears fan, Will, I want to see Justin Fields get those reps as soon as possible. I, I don't think, you know, I did mention this earlier this week that it, there's a few extreme cases, like, for instance, David Carr, who I think you truly can't say his career probably was ruined because he was thrown behind one of the worst offensive lines ever assembled in an expansion Houston Texans team. And David Carr may have had a better NFL career had that not been the case. But unless you think your offensive line is, you know, one of the worst to ever be assembled, chances are at some point in his career, Justin Fields will play behind a less than ideal offensive line if it's a good career, right? Yep. Like, there's there's plenty of times where a quarterback has, you know, a good offensive line in front of him. And at some point throughout his career, you know, those offensive linemen are not going to play for, you know, 15 years. If he's a good quarterback, he will have sometimes where he's playing kind of poor offensive line. Justin Fields has the unique ability at this age to, you know, to break the pocket and avoid some issues that will be there from a poor offensive line. So I'd just rather him see real defensive coverages and expedite the, the uh, learning curve so that next year, because I just don't think it's realistic to believe the Bears are, you know, real Super Bowl contenders this year. But next year, maybe just maybe, if he gets a full, full full season under his belt, I think you have an opportunity to, if things go well, say next season, you know what? The Bears could be a true Super Bowl contender. But the longer you wait on that, the less likely that you'll believe that how going into his second year, you have Super Bowl aspirations. Yeah, it seems kind of odd, too, the way Nagy has been, or not, I guess, whoever is the quarterback in preseason hasn't really had a chance to maybe build up chemistry with players that they will play with. So has that been kind of puzzling for you too? I mean, I, I just think NFL coaches, the preseason, it's this weird thing where they know they're getting vanilla looks, right? They're, yeah. they're never going to, they're, they're throwing out vanilla plays and the defense is giving them, you know, the most bland look that they can because True. nobody wants to reveal anything that they may actually use in the regular season. And so you have this weird, you know, the, the old preseason games that don't really matter, but they try and use them, you know, like to, to get players ready for the season. And I, I just don't know if any NFL coach has really solved the problem of, you know, using these to their best benefit. There's no correlation between a team that does well in the preseason True. actually doing well in the regular season. Yeah. In fact, I like I mean I, there's just nothing. Nothing you could point to says that this team who does well in the preseason and tends to do well in the regular season. And half the time we don't even know what we're looking at either because again, all these bland offenses and defenses that are being run. So, you know, I maybe from a timing perspective you're using a little bit of that just to make sure that you know, but outside of that, I don't think there's a whole lot to learn from preseason football. And so, and I think NFL coaches know that. I think they know that they're learning more in their practices than they actually are in the games. Mm. And, you know, but you also don't want to hit in practice because you don't want any of your players to get injured. Right. So I don't know. I think a whole, you know, I, I don't think there's a whole, I don't put a whole lot of time 
and breaking down what's going on in the preseason because I just don't think there's a whole lot you can actually, you know, learn. For every guy who goes crazy and ends up turning into something in the NFL, there's like five or six examples of guys who had great preseasons who don't ever go on to do anything in the NFL. So, you know, I, I just don't think you can learn a whole lot from it. Yeah, true. And last thing, uh, so I know this obviously hinders basically on who the quarterback will be throughout the year, but, and I, it's probably hard to even know, but it seems, like the, it seems like the consensus is when people try to project the Bears record, it's usually that seven, eight, nine win range. So is that kind of the same for you um, too? Interesting. I hadn't really like, I haven't really like, that, I, that's another thing too, like records. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, mm-hmm. maybe it's a dull answer, but like things go haywire in the NFL all the time. Yeah. Injury, injuries will dictate whether or not the Bears, for the most part, whether or not they have, uh, you know, they're able to pull out some games that you didn't expect them to win. And whether or not Justin Fields is the real deal will go a long way into, you know, turning uh, into determining what their record actually is. And like I said, I'm projecting that I could see the situation where Fields ends up starting in week four against the Lions, that being his first start, right? That seems like a nice yeah, a nice spot to get him in, you know, if Andy Dalton doesn't just come out gangbusters and, you know, make it impossible for you to bench him, right? But the reality is that none of us know. Matt Nagy doesn't even know right now when Justin Fields will actually take the field, right? A lot of it's going to play out. So we can, I can give you, you know, uh, the, the safe uh, eight or nine wins, which sure. is also just like a way of hedging so that if, if, if the Bears... It's a little trick, right? If right. the Bears win 10 or 11 games, I can say, hey, I had them down for eight or nine wins. I was close. I was only two games off, right? Nobody ever likes to project the extremes because you, there's, a, there's a much greater chance that you're, you're going to end up looking foolish, right? If I say the Bears are going to go out and win 12 games, well, you know what I mean? Like, if they win seven, all of a sudden, like, what were you thinking? <laughs> the season, yeah. Right? Yeah. But if I give you the, the nice, soft eight, eight or nine wins... I, either direction, you know what I mean? I yeah. complain that I'm a little close than I actually am. So, you know, I, they don't look like, I, I guess the most concrete answer I feel is I don't feel like they're a playoff team. Yeah. You know, I, I think, and so based on that alone, if they're not, if I don't have them as a playoff team, then I don't have them winning, you know, more than eight games this season. So I guess that's a long-winded way of saying that uh, I'm not, extremely optimistic about the Bears this season, but mm-hmm. the truth is, I was in a truly bad place prior to the, to the draft yeah. on where the Bears Bears were at. Like, I was just like, like, you know, about as bad as I, a bad spot as I've been as a Bears fan in a long time, because I was like, well, Cleo Mack's going to be, you know, on the downward stage of his career very soon here, and you basically wasted a couple of good seasons you had with him and you have no plan at quarterback because I don't believe that Andy Dalton is a real plan. But because the draft fell the way it did and they were able to trade up and go get Justin Fields, all of a sudden my outlook on the, on the team is much more optimistic because I think they may have finally found the franchise quarterback that they've been in search of since Sid Luckman, right? So just having that player on your roster completely changes the calculus as a fan. And so because of that, I'm a lot more excited about the Bears and where, they are, where they're at as, a, as an organization than I was just prior. Like, on draft night, I was just like, this sucks. I don't know what they're going to do. I have no optimism. And then for Justin Fields to fall and then, then for Ryan Pace to be able to go up and get him, 
completely changed my outlook about the team, you know, for the for the short term. So I'm I'm excited about that aspect and just watching him develop on the field this year is well worth the time investment for me as a Bears fan. Yeah, definitely. And uh, before I let you go, I wanted to tell you, I told Carmen this before when I talked with him, I think like two months ago now. Uh, I love that Who's the Douche uh, segment on Carmen and Yurko. And I was cracking up when uh, I think it was the I think the first one I heard was that sandwich one with Meller uh, with you and Merkin, and I was cracking up at that just based on how I guess Merkin was like snooze you lose and all that. But yeah, that's a great segment. Oh well, thank you. Actually, uh, I uh, will take credit for that because <laughs> the first one actually originated. I happened to be driving in the parking structure at work, and I pulled. I was getting. It was, I was. Pulling in, it was probably like a few minutes before um, 9 a.m. And it's a very, you know, it's a busy parking structure that goes up like 10 floors. And what happened was I pulled in and, you know, it was almost 9 a.m. So everybody's pulling to the same parking structure, probably getting ready to run into work, right? (laughs) And so what happened was I pull up behind a car that was on the first floor that had their brake lights on and so i i'm I'm sorry you know what that actually i I apologize what happened was i noticed that somebody had walked in and hopped right into their car and was clearly getting ready to pull out of that spot right yeah and so they so they start their car and their brake lights are on and i'm behind them and i can see that they're about to leave right and so i just i'm like waiting like okay i'm going to take that parking spot but what happened was a person pulled it with pulled in head right behind me mm-hmm. and was waiting for me and they could not go up the parking structure because obviously I'm waiting for this person to leave so I could take that spot. Well, that person was taking a you know, a longer time than usual to pull out of the parking spot. But they had started their car and had their brake lights on, so I'm waiting for them to leave. And so as I'm waiting for them to leave, I don't know if it was like fifteen, twenty seconds, and all of a sudden person behind me starts laying on their horn wanting me to move right yeah but i'm just sitting there waiting for the parking parking spot right so i that's i walked in that afternoon because i was actually hosting with carmen for yurko that day and i and i said carmen i think i've got an idea for a segment because i'm not sure who's in the wrong here and i said i think we just call it am i the douche (laughs) or is the person behind me who's honking on honking on their horn, yeah. like, and we're talking like obnoxiously, like three or four times mm-hmm. because they want me to move, and I'm like, who's the douche here? Am I the douche for waiting for the parking spot and not going up the parking structure, knowing though that if I go up the parking structure, either the person behind me is just going to snag the spot as soon as that person leaves, right? Or if I go up, it doesn't matter because the person behind me still needs to wait until I find a parking spot before they get their parking spot. True. So. Either way, the person behind me for laying on the horn, I feel like was egregiously the douche in this situation. And, but but I had enough. I was questioning myself enough, whereas like I think this could be a segment time. So what do you think? And he's like, I love it. Let's do it. Yeah. So it just it was the perfect timing that uh, I happened to be hosting for Yurko that day. And I remember Yurko, who was on a fishing trip with some of his buddies, texted Carm and I when we debuted the segment, and he said, "You know who's the douche?" He goes. You guys are both the douches for debuting the segment while I'm on vacation. So right, right then and there, I knew we uh, we had uh, hits, and um, it's def- it definitely got a lot of positive feedback. 
Yeah, you know what? Maybe I do remember that story now that you mentioned it. But yeah, that's that's definitely a great uh, a great segment. It's always funny to hear whatever the scenario is. And I like the one yesterday, of course, with the whole text thread. That was pretty relatable too. But uh... yeah, I know. I, I think I think everybody like we like listen. We all have these moments where yeah. We're, and I think, but sometimes if you step back, you're like, you know what? If you try and look at it from their perspective as well, you can be like, ah, maybe maybe I'm not completely, you know, because we we only see things from our own perspective. Right. So. It's just like it's just like anything. When you take a step back and look at it through someone else's lenses, you may see it completely differently. Definitely. Well, Jeff, thanks again for doing this with me, and uh, I hope you have a good, a great weekend. And yeah, just thanks again. Yeah, no problem. Well, anytime. Appreciate it, man. Three, two, one, zero. zero.